When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good afternoon. A warm welcome to you. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you. Two expert guests, all in 60 minutes. It's Friday. It's the 17th of February. All right, let's get to an introduction, shall we? Joining me for the full hour, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Hey, guys. Uh, look, there's been lots of reading to get through this week with all those results. I've got to ask for initial impression. Luke, how's it going for any companies in your portfolio that have reported so far this, this year? Um, I haven't been a, a great many, Dean. Most of the small mid-caps will be out next week, so it's mostly the larger guys coming out. But, uh, I mean, overall feelings so far are pretty positive. Um, you know, especially the numbers being reported this period. And I think we've spoken about it so many times, particularly for the, some of those more discretionary-focused um, sectors, about what things look like in the in the nearest future, you know, maybe next half and, and, and the half beyond that. And some of the commentary, I think, has, has spooked some people in the market. Um, but the actual numbers, you know, they're still quite strong. And that's been a theme I think we've seen now for probably the last two or three reporting periods where we keep waiting for the, the weakness to hit the numbers and it's just not quite there. Retailers still holding up okay. Um, some of those more cyclical, you know, construction, mining services names doing well as well. So, um, yeah, that's been the theme I've seen. But we wait and see because, as I said, some of that commentary is, is cautious at best and, and some management teams, Nick Scarley is the first one that comes to mind, um, you know, highlighting some some weakness that they can see on, on that horizon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what did you make of any of the results, the commentary to Luke's point? We've had the biggest bank in the nation, you know, saying that there are tougher times ahead. But uh, Matt Coleman wasn't to me uh, indicating that he's losing sleep over this mortgage cliff. But, you know, something all investors need to be cognizant of. Yeah, I guess uh, bank profits can go up and down, but the banks can't actually go, you know, the government can't let the banks crash too much. So there's that, I suppose. Um, on top of that, you know, I, I'm probably not as much of a housing bear as some people are because, and of course, you know, with with Commonwealth Bank and all the banks, it does really come back to housing. But uh, I'm not as bear as much as some people are about that because I think that any government that just wants to restore the um, house prices can just increase immigration. And I've just noticed that there's probably less and less opposition to um, increasing Im um, immigration these days. Uh, some on the left uh, might want to call for less immigration, but then they would feel like they were being racist if they did. So that kind of silences that voice a little bit. So yeah, probably uh, I'd say that overall in the end, banks will be fine, but that, that doesn't mean I think they're a great investment. And in fact, it, compared to banks around the world, Commonwealth Bank looks very expensive indeed. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's a thought on both of my guests. When it comes to reporting season, uh, look, I picked the stock of the day because it did report this week, but more so because I've had so many conversations about it. I mean, we'll get there in just a moment, but uh, the stock of the day is one that's come up in, you know, at least a handful of conversations, including one I had earlier with uh, Cadence Asset Management a little bit earlier on. But these are the companies that you've told us you want to hear about. One is Felix. I can only assume that's Group Holdings. So we'll get there. FLX Whisper reported today, if I'm not mistaken. DDH1 drilling coming through, Coscoal, and that was a specific question directed to Claude and Luke. And Etherstack, ESK, is the ticker code there. So I've kept you in suspense. Tourism Holdings is the stock of the day. It upgraded guidance earlier this week, expecting net profit after tax to come in above 75 million US dollar, above previous guidance of 30 million dollars. The company says it reflects very strong trading in the first half and a positive outlook for the remainder of FY23. Bit of pressure coming through today on a down day for the local market. Hey guys, uh, apparently it costs as much as a thousand dollars to rent a camper van these days. For 
one night. I mean, that sounds unsustainable, but it's, um, look, the company's bringing it in. What do you make of it, Claude? Oh, yeah, so Tourism Holdings is a little bit outside my normal wheelhouse, but I do know a bit about it because one of the fund managers I'm friends with, uh, Wayman Z, has, has long been beating the table about this one uh, to me. Uh, so essentially, uh, they took over um, a Apollo, ATL, not that mm. long ago. So their you know, historic results are a little bit messy. And, um, you know, sometimes there is an opportunity for mispricing when the results going forward aren't going to reflect the... Um, you know, the, the same, it's just a bigger company, right? It's a merger. So it, it, it's not an easy extrapolation. And so that has probably created an opportunity uh, for people to buy the uncertainty, which was then dispelled just two days ago, um, when you can see that sharp share price rise. And the reason it was dispelled is because they came out and put uh, a guidance out that basically said they're going to make uh, New Zealand 48 million, well, from the top of my head now, even after selling some of their camper vans and not including... Um, uh, excluding AT Atlas's profit from the period. So they're showing a, a glance at how the underlying business is going there. And that looks like it's coming above from what I can see analyst estimates, which was, I think, closer to 46. So that's great. Um, the actual results will probably do further to um, dispel uh, the uncertainty and maybe even once they cycle over and people get a good view of how the business is uh, working now it's merged with Apollo. Perhaps that will, uh, at the same time, uh, further make it more uh, palatable to Australian investors. So I do think it's like a slightly under the radar one. Obviously, there's thematics there of, you know, return to more tourism and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, overall, having said that, uh, I've been on the sidelines myself for this one. And it's not one that I've, you know, followed really closely over over time, uh, just because it's, mo it's spent most of the time as being a New Zealand listed stock is on the ASX now, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, so would you, I mean, you've obviously, is this a watch list company or it's just outside your wheelhouse? Yeah, so this would be, a, this, this would be like, uh, well, it's just not one that I'm totally across. It's obviously got, there's elements of it that are capital intensive that I don't really like. You know, apparently like, uh, you know, camper van the demand remains strong and that means an in vogue way to, to travel. So uh, perhaps there won't be such, you know, perhaps they're not going to lose that much uh, to international tourism now that people can do that. Um, but either way, uh, I, you know, I probably, let's say, ooh, I wouldn't want to call it right now, basically, uh, since I only just had a, a, a while to refresh it uh, once we found it was the stock of the day. Uh, but for me, my, my thinking is that it's probably got a little bit of a period where it could get a bit of a multiple re-rate just as uh, the numbers get smoother and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'd I sort of default hold on this one um, with, without having a firm view myself. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. So let's get to Luke's view on Tourism Holdings. I mean, I'm sure you guys are both familiar with Camplify. I know that we've spoken with it in the past. So yeah, Luke, give us some they perspective. They actually have a small yeah. holding in Camplify as well. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that was a little tidbit that um, I should have chucked in. So yeah, there, there you go. go. Luke? Yeah, yeah. Apollo Tourism held Camplify and obviously absorbed that in. Um, to be honest, Nadine, a lot of my um, takes are the same as Claude. It's not one I'd looked at too closely, given it was New Zealand listed, you know, prior to the merger with Apollo, which now gives it the ASX listing. Um, and to, to your point before, it looks very interesting on the numbers they gave the other day. Um, you know, 75 mil New Zealand dollars um, uh, net profit is expected to be reported for FY23. Um, it looked like there may have been some one-offs there with some some selling of camper vans or whatnot, and, and maybe you normalise that out. But, you know, something like 12 to 13 times earnings on, on, on my rough sort of calculations. Um, I think you definitely hold it just for that valuation. But in the introduction, you made a good point, which is, these guys are likely over-earning right now. Um, you know, $1,000 a night for a camper van. I'm sure that's the extreme example, but just the fact that that exists highlights you're seeing some mismatch there in supply and demand, and they're able to extract some value there. So what does the business look like moving forward? I think that's a bit harder to sort of bed down. You've got a big merger as well. Um, if you're there, I'd definitely hold it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good update, a good result, came in stronger than what everyone expected. It doesn't look stretched on that valuation. If you're on the sidelines, I think you give it a, you know, maybe a report or two, see what that merger looks like um 
you know, let's see what the balance sheet looks like as well, because both of those companies had a bit of debt going into it. Um, and, and what does that tourism recovery look like? Obviously, the numbers are strong right now, but what does it look like in a couple of halves when maybe the, the domestic consumers get started bitten by these interest rates and that revenge travel from international mm-hmm. might wind off a bit as well? So, look, I, I think definitely a hold, but, um, yeah, on, on the sidelines um, until maybe you get just a couple more uh, pieces of data, uh, you know, data points coming through. Got it. Thanks, guys. That was Tourism Holding, a firm hold. All right, let's get to the first on the list. This is Felix, and this is for Nick. Uh, Look, I have a feeling this might be quite short on your part, Claude, at least. Give us your rundown. I could probably rabbit on this one for a while because there's actually one element of the business model of this company that did capture my imagination. And and that's the fact that, so it offers a platform for contracting um, and managing your contractors for big contractors, we'll, we'll call them, um, you know, you know, the contractors, which is what they call them. And then there's the contractees uh, who also jump on the network and they submit their bids for any jobs. And the platform can then have like all of the approvals because they need to keep proof that you've got, you know, you're working at Heights or your white card or or whatever the various things they need to have for, uh, you know, and I guess whatever other checks they do on people they're contracting with. So, you know, corporate bankruptcy check, blah, 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 check with line insolvent that kind of thing so it's a it's a platform for managing um those the people that are that you're getting to do the work and uh those big companies are sort of that's been fairly slow growth and that's why ultimately i don't really like the stock but the cool thing about it is is hypothetically it could be a little bit of a network effect as they get more contractors on it it becomes more important for the contractees to be on the platform and thus um be able to bid for this work and so that forces you know, this two-sided network, basically, if they get enough of those contractors. So that is a key thing that they've been trying to do. Um, now, the on the flips, and that's the cool thing about it, that's why I think it could be interesting, and I'm sure our questioner uh, is interested in that side of it, but the actual numbers are not great. So uh, still, even at an operating cash outflow level, uh, it's they have quite fast um, cash burn, and I'm sure Luke can maybe fill us in a bit on their capital raising or their capital position since I've gone on so long already. But the key point I wanted to make is... Where these guys really uh, lost me was bizarrely ages ago in uh, 29th of April, 2021. <laughs> they ke- they highlighted their ARR instead of at the end of the quarter. They, they did their enterprise South Australia as a service, contracted ARR uh, 1.8 million as at 28th of April, 2001. So on the 28th of April, the day they're reporting rather than the end of the quarter. But the subsequent quarterlies have all been the end of the quarter. So I, I just can't, I could never, I just have to bring that up. I'll never, ever forget that about them that they did that. Okay. So for me, it would be an, it would be an avoid at the moment until they reach a, a better financial situation. Okay. What do you think, Luke? Your view on Felix? Yeah, I'm sure they just won a contract in April, Nadine, so I wanted to yeah. include that in the ARR number. Um, look, I, I don't mind this business. I, I think Claude's right. It's it's early stage, still burning cash, and as investors, you know, those stocks have been shunned a bit by the market, and you probably don't have to be there too early but there are things to be interested about and, and, and i think for me the software is is the core to that sort of thesis so as claude, claude said they they focus on these big large t1 contractors um, and looking to build that network effect among their vendor base of, of smaller smaller contractors uh, and once you embed yourself in that sort of environment it can be very sticky and 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 you know the sorts of businesses that can extract a lot of value over time um, and, and their T1 contractors, you know, explicitly call these guys out for the work they do, or sorry, the, the, the efficiencies that their software drives for them. So that's sort of why I've always been interested. It's been on my watch list for a while. Um, but as Claude said, it's, it's still early on, still burning cash. Um, they want another contract the other day, so there's momentum there, there's growth there. Uh, but, but it's just in this environment, you, you don't have to be there today. You can sit back and watch. That's a benefit we have as investors. You don't have to you know, swing at every pitch, as, as Warren Buffett says. So it's on my watch list. I'd encourage you know, micro-cap investors, especially in that tech space, um, to do the same. I think there's something to like about this business. It's just waiting to see whether they can execute and, and, and tip into that profitability and, and, and get some scale behind them. Got it. Thank you, guys. That is Felix. I hope uh, you were listening out there. If that was for you, let's get to Whisper. This is WSP is the ticker code. And this is for Rob. Rob, don't forget that this is information only. It's not um, It's not for your specific circumstances at all. Okay, so we've got Whisper um, reporting today, I do believe. Uh, Luke, I'm going to start with you on this one. 
Yeah, it was a pretty ugly report, Nadine. And, and the share price hasn't moved too much looking at it. I'm sure we'll put it up in a sec. It's only down a few percent. Um, but I think that reflects sort of the, the, the slide it's had over recent months from its highs. Um, look, in a nutshell, this business benefited quite a lot from COVID. So so Whisper is a technology that, um, you know, a communications technology is how they would frame themselves. And, and they allow their customers to engage with, um, with, with their end customers through all sorts of different... Um, communication methods, be it email, text, and, and a way to sort of unify their messaging across all those different systems. Um, where they benefited from COVID was they were used by um, three state health departments, I'm guessing New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, um, to you know send out their COVID text messages. And, and of course, a lot of revenue was, was derived uh, by that. Um, and, and if you go back to the first half 22, I actually tweeted about this this morning, Nadine. Um, in that first half 22 report, you know, there was no mention of that COVID benefit. It, the, the, the line was something like existing customers, you know, using their platform more frequently or something like that. And it's only now we get the first half 23 and that COVID revenues come off and all of a sudden management are now breaking out that contribution. And we see just how much of that growth that they reported last year actually came from these you know, one-off benefits that anybody would have known that that sort of COVID uh, messaging um, revenue, it was never gonna hang around sustainably into the long term. And I think even more alarming was um, not only from a revenue point of view. So if you if you strip away that COVID um, revenue boost, the core business was about flat, you know, no, no real growth growth to it. Um, it was also much, much higher revenue. Um, they gave the contribution margins and um, a little bit, it reminded me a little bit of um, like Sonic Healthcare and Australian Clinical Labs, the, the margins those guys were able to extract from the government through COVID and COVID testing, these guys were earning 60% margins on their COVID, um, their COVID revenue compared to about like 10 to 12 on the core business. So, you know, I, I think I've sort of put management in the sin bin a little bit, you know, Claude, you know, sounds like he's sort of done the same with Felix. Um, I, I think management's got a long way to go to come back and earn the trust of the market. The business looks like it's it's no longer growing. They're pulling out of the US because they've struggled to get traction there. Still burning cash. The balance sheet looks thin. This is a sell for Mina Dean, and I think you can sit on the sidelines, and if you want to stay interested, keep it on your watch list. But it's a pretty risky proposition right now. I, I think for, for, for holders right now, the thing I think you're really banking on is a is a takeover from you know private equity or something like that, and we know they're sniffing around. So that's a that's a genuine you know potential to happen, but on the operating business, the, yeah, it's it's pretty ugly, and 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 the the prospects for that turnaround I don't think look too great. So sell for me. Thank you. Let's get to Claude. Is this as big a dog as Luke is painting it out to be? Uh yeah, I'd say look. I'm a little bit more predisposed to it because back in the day, I mean, in May 2020, I wrote, oh no, not May 2020, uh, in, uh, yeah, May 2020, I wrote, why is Whispear one of my largest holdings? So back in the day when we we're actually getting this benefit, which Luke just very aptly described, that was the time that this was like one of those, you know, first order thinking Momo COVID stocks uh, that I got on board with. And then of course it started to fall apart uh, in May that same year, in just a few months right, later, I, I said why I plan to take profits on Wispier by August 2020, because I'm saying this is going to be just a, a run, right? And then I subsequently on April 2021 wrote on selling Wispier. It's all there what I think of it. I've got nothing more to say on it. It's look right now. It's got a base. It's got to, it's got to be a turnaround story, but it is actually now genuinely potentially cheap. So one little rule of thumb is that you could look at the gross profit of this company and pretend that is like the actual revenue. Um, and if we annualize the first half, that would be it would be trading on 1.5 times gross profit. So even if we pretend that's the actual revenue, uh, given that they actually have to give a lot of their revenue to you know service providers, um, then it, it does actually finally look cheap now. Of course, you need that, you need that to be growing. You need to, th to be getting that operating leverage. Um, my latest view on this is I reckon they'll run close to needing to raise capital. The company reckons they won't. So if they're correct about that, then uh, fair play to them and the share price should should go up or else being equal because I believe the market is currently pricing in some potential of a capital raising. So, but for me, yeah. just I w I'm not going to play that game, right? Like fair enough to anyone that wants to wade in there, but it's a really it can be a painful game to play because if I'm right and they do need to raise capital, then you get dilution at a low level. 
And then after that might be the time that I'm looking at, at, at buying after you're sure that they don't need to raise capital. Because if you have dilution and if the issue shares at a low share price, that's going to cause permanent damage to your future returns because, you know, you're adding to the number of shares. And so mm-hmm. you have to share with more people. So that's an avoid for now. Got it. Yeah, I reckon after the balance sheet is strong, that's when I'll definitely have a look at this. Thanks, guys. Let's get to DDH Drilling. DDH, this is for Matt. Uh, so yeah, this is this is you know technical drilling services. Uh, you know we've got a lot of exploring happening. We've got a lot of these small explorers in Australia. I mean somebody's got to do the drilling. Why not these guys? Oh, Luke. Is that with me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Why not these guys? Uh, you're right, Nadine. It's it's very much a bull market for, for these sorts of guys. And and uh, to be fair to DDH, they they sort of call that out. You look at their presentation, and and they have a historical chart of um, you know effectively capital raisings by speculative miners and, and exploration and drilling because that is the most cyclical part of, of the mining industry. Ongoing production is actually quite stable, and if you find businesses tied to um, ongoing production, the cyclicality is not too bad. But DDH does have that exposure to junior miners exploring and right now you know pretty pretty hot periods definitely not the the heyday of sort of you know 2011 to 2013 but uh not too bad compared to the last few years um look it is cheap um you know about five times earnings um maybe a touch more than that of um sort of uh, taking that at operating level without interest in tax. Uh, but it's a heavy capex business. You know, it takes a lot of money to buy these drills, maintain them, move them around and operate them. So, you know, for businesses like this and, and where we are in the cycle, the, the way I like to, to, to think about it is try and find the capital allocators who are counter-cyclical because most mining services, construction services, any any businesses that are tied to those cyclical industries, inevitably what they do is they want to invest when times are good. They've got cash coming in the door. They want to take that cash. They want to grow their fleets. They want to acquire. They want to spend, um, you know, because they've got the money in the balance sheet to do it. But you're usually doing that at cyclical peaks on elevated multiples. Um, you know, you, what you really want to find as, lo- as a long-term investor, um, you know, Sometimes we want to shy away from these cyclical sectors, but there's very good money to be made. But finding the long-term thinkers who will be counter-cyclical and they'll invest in their businesses when the cycle turns and, you know, pick up cheap assets or grow when others aren't willing to grow. Um, DDH, maybe somewhere in between. There's there's still a bit of growth capex going on here. Um, you know, it's about a 50-50 split between growth capex and, you know, maintenance to keep the lights on. Um, so to me, it says they're still pretty keen to, to spend and grow. And, and maybe they see legs in the cycle for, for a few years yet. But, um, you know, what I would probably want to be looking for with a business like this when times are good is most of that free cash returning to shareholders um, rather than sort of investing for growth and then the cycle inevitably turns. So um, look, for the program, Nadine, I think it's a hold. It's it's certainly too cheap to say to anyone to sell it. Um, I'm just a little bit wary right now of where we are and, and particularly, as I said, businesses that are investing and trying to grow where we are in the cycle. It, it doesn't feel like we're necessarily late cycle and things are about to end. You're not seeing that sort of behaviour, but it's been going on now for a few years and inevitably these things always start to turn. Mm-hmm. So a bit wary of that, but, but as I said, at five times earnings, too cheap to tell someone to sell this business. Um, and maybe you chuck it on your watch list if you, if you want that sort of cyclical exposure. Thank you. Claude, anything to add? Any, any differing opinion here? Yeah. I, don't, I can't differ from that opinion. I think, I think that's a very well-considered opinion. Uh, however, what I'd add is I'd just zoom in on the dividend a little bit because I think there could be a little bit more upside there because this has uh, you know, had some uh, a merger in the past the dividend yield, say, on Comsec is showing just 2.7%, whereas the estimates are for this to yield more like 6% uh, fully franked. So that'll be, uh, you know, closer to 8.85, I think, 8.5%, you know, bank it as an equivalent to your term deposit or whatever. So, uh, and maybe sometimes when those numbers, I'm just like, this is a, not a guarantee, but when those numbers come through, it's like with the tourism holdings, you have a little bit of a messy situation. Luke and I are both, oh, we haven't looked at it closely because it's, um, you know, been a New Zealand stock. Sometimes these little things, actually, they get multiplied across the whole market. And once it comes through with the 6% dividend yield, it starts showing showing up a little bit more as a dividend stock uh, to people. And then that can maybe push it up a little bit. So I would most certainly hold now. I wouldn't be uh, waiting. I, I wouldn't be um, necessarily just jumping out right now because I feel like as long as they just perform this one 
year, then it's going to start looking and catching a few more eyes. So that'd be the like, that, yeah, so my take on this is positive short term, but you've got to remember, like, I think that, which is what Luke is very conscious of, is these mining service companies, and I have a few mining adjacent in my portfolio as well, that to a degree, a rising tide is lifting all boats at the moment. So it's been a really painful place not to be in that. If you were sticking to, uh, you know, small cap industrials in, in healthcare and tech completely, like there's for me and other people that might not usually go invest in mining services company at some point, you know, most people to some degree have capitulated and start investing in the mm -hmm. hot sector. That's where we are. And that could go for go for on for a while. But just keep in mind, there's probably, you know, there are tourist dollars in there. I mean, metaphorically speaking, yeah. and once the cycle turns, they'll be like, all right, I'm going back to my preferred areas of, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, all so, right. That's a good uh, way to put it. Something to keep in mind. Thank you. Guys, let's get on to the next on the list. So this is Causal. Causal, I think that's how you say it. It's for Alex. He says, what do Claude and Luke make of fundamentals? Could this company be the next tech one? Well, that is... Uh, you know, uh, some some pretty big calls there. So this helps, what does it do, Claude? Like it helps uh, various customers so, from all sorts of industries uh, just with their technology needs, does it? Yeah, so it's very focused on, so it's a basically a managed service IT provider. So it's not going to be tech one. However, there's like some small parts of the business that you could argue somewhat, uh, you know, mimic tech one style that. They do have, um, you know some bits of proprietary software that they use and i forgot the name of it i think one's by hitachi but basically they're specialists they're manning it managed service providers and they're specialists at basically getting people up and running with um trying it the copernicus so they they have the coastal copernicus uh pre-configured erp system for mining organizations they have um the some add-on software, the Evergreen subscription, for which goes with the um, Hitachi Ellipse. So these, it does have some software solutions, which is the only part of the business you could say it's like more analogous to Tech One. And I think they're trying to grow those parts of the business, uh, but that's not the majority of it. Um, you know, it is essentially an IT, a roll-up of IT consulting companies focused on the heavy industry heavy um asset management so we're talking like mines maybe governments i think there was a department of defense win they had recently so it's really just an it consulting company so the, probably the way you want to view this is not as a tech one look-alike um there's a there's small bits of overlaps but it's closer to uh, i'm not sure how long you've been investing but you know it could be smx we used to be sausage software you know 20 years ago or something and there's empire i think it's being taken over now rxp you know um, DWS, all these ones, they've been on the market on and off. They tend to be quite cyclical businesses. We've got a study on, on these IT services on our website, actually, just the sector. Uh, but the point is that they are kind of cyclical. Like, they're a little bit better than uh, mining services companies because they're not as capital intensive because they don't need to buy all that heavy equipment. But they still have a lot of operating leverage because they have to pay the, the salaries of all of these, you know, quite knowledgeable IT staff, which they really want to retain between jobs. So if they've got a lot of demand, which they do at the moment, and everyone's working most of the time, they're getting good margins, 10% margins on this. And then, of course, that if there's a slowdown in IT spending, that's what you've got to watch out for because margins goes down, profit goes down, and then, of course, multiple goes down. So you get this compression in the cycle. And um, look, at the moment, this IT service is hot, so it, and it could slow down. It could well slow down. We have starting to see a little bit of softening um, from vacancies. It... Um, from a very high base though. So overall, I wouldn't be getting scared out of this yet. It's probably a, a cyclical growth stock with reasonably good margins. Um, Buy, but hold yourself. I, I, hold. Luke? Hold, hold, hold with like potential speculative buying. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, Luke, what would you do with Cosol? Uh, our, our viewer wanted to know, what do you make of the fundamentals? Oh, are you on you mute? Needed, I, think. I think you're mute. Yes, I was, sorry. There you go. Um, 
I'm a hold as well, but but more on valuation than um, than you know the fundamentals. Uh, it's not tech one, as Claude said. Um, they do a little bit of proprietary IP, but most of it is overlaying some um, you know software from larger players. But there's value in that, as Claude said. You know, there's a lot of businesses on the ASX and, and private that make good money as an IT managed service business, but you never extract those full margins that a tech one, Objective Corp, those sort of businesses are able to do when you own your software and the distribution of it. Um, but what I like about these guys, and Claude touched on it, they're hyper-focused on, on heavy asset, you know, capital businesses. Um, and I think there's a lot of value to provide those businesses to ensure that they're, you know, using software, that they're getting the most efficiency out of that, that big asset base they have, and they're maximizing utilization and um, um, you know, efficiency rates in general. And so, you know, when I compare it, Claude listed off, I'm glad he did listen off the, the, the graveyard of managed IT services because it, it is a sector that has a bunch of businesses that never quite reached scale and eventually blew up. Where I would put these guys a little bit above them is I think they are hyper-focused on that space and, and not playing in that general IT managed services where you're competing on price with, with many, many other players. Um, but that valuation 23 times EBIT is, is right up there. You probably want to be paying about like maybe 15 to 17 times max for me. So I need that price to come down. Or alternatively, if the price hangs around where it is, maybe a year or two, the growth kicks in and it becomes more interesting. But it's on my watch list. I like it. I like that focus on where they are. But yeah, for uh, Alex who sent it in, it's not tech one. So don't sit here thinking mm -hmm. that it'll earn a, you know, 50 times multiple. And the main reason why they don't own all their own software, that's that's the key to COSOL. Okay, thank you guys. I do hope that that helps. Um, look, we've got another company out with results today next on the list. It's called Etherstack, E-S-K. So what they're telling us, market cap of about $70 million. It's um, profitable, it's debt-free, it's growing. What do you make of it, Luke? Yeah, I've known this business for a while, Nadine. Um, they do sort of radio and wireless technology for, for mission-critical uses. So they're selling to defense, um, you know, firefighting, medical emergencies, things like that. Um, and basically, when you need your communication systems not to fail, then, you know, something like an Etherstack compared to, you know, you wouldn't use a Garmin or, or, or some sort of um, communication radio like that. Um it's, it's, as you said, it's been a profitable business for a while. Um, and it, it for me, I've, I've always sort of had it on my watch list and been semi-interested in it. The growth has been a little bit anemic for a few years, but that's looks like it could be starting to change. You know, 50% revenue growth this year. Um, still very lumpy because despite having some recurring maintenance style revenues in the background, it's very much driven by selling these communication devices to, to their end customers. And you can get some big lumpy sales where these sorts of organizations are buying you know a few hundred modules at once or, or whatever it may be and so may not purchase again for, for a few years um, so you have that lumpiness of their sales obviously um, you know a product innovation cycle behind it as well so it can be a lumpy cyclical business but fair credit to management they've as I said cash flow positive profitable the last I think four or five years um, for me that valuation again a bit like Cosol it's it's a, a little bit stretched for me at the minute sort of you know maybe around I I think I jotted down 20 to 25 times earnings. We'll wait and see what it looks like, um, you know, with growth into the full year. Um, but, you know, a line management, I think a nice niche as well. I, I like to find that as a small cap investor. Um, these guys are targeting a very small niche and looking to, to dominate there. So, you know, it may not ever be a 700 mil business to Dean, but you can sit there and get some good margins. It's you know, 67% gross margins to me says there's some, you know, good IP behind what they do. They're, they're not sort of dragged down into a, a competitive industry where uh, gross margins are squeezed quite hard. So it's on my watch list. Um, I think it's a good little business. And, and I encourage, you know, if you are a, uh, an investor willing to take on the risk of a, of a small micro cap, um, you know, something like this is, is where you should be looking. It's, uh, you know, as I said, profitable cash flow, dividend paying. And now it looks like it might start to, to ramp up that growth path is, is where it starts to get really interesting. But um, but on 20 to 25 earnings, I mean, is it expensive? Depends on the growth. And that's, okay. that's the key. So so this year, that growth looks nice. And if that's maintained for the next two or three years, either stack starts to look really cheap and really interesting. 
But if you go back to sort of the last three or four years where I've been following it, that growth has been lumpy and, you know, it might be sort of 20% one year, 5% the next. And that's sort of where I just need to see a few of those periods string together before you really get excited enough to, to step in and buy. But on, on my watch list, it has been for a while. Okay. Is this one on your watch list, Claude? I, it's not. And I reckon, I don't know if, I don't know if Luke would go for it in the end if he looked at it long enough, but uh, look, the, I think we've talked um, about this one before, Claude, haven't we? It was sort of a, it, was it a kind of a hot copper kind of stock? Yeah, so it has had like it had an I- extreme um, share price move to a dollar seventy five once on the thirtieth of June. Actually, there's a great um, AFR article about it called uh, "Etherstack Pump Straight from the I Sign This Playbook." And uh, you know, certainly, I'd say the, if I held this, which I which I don't, and I've no intention to, my plan would be to like just hold it, wait, hope that there's some insane pump again, and just sell it then, basically, which could well happen. In terms of the actual results, I mean, Luke gave us a great um, rundown of the financial results. The one thing I'll just add to that is the revenue growth really came from the Lumpy Projects revenue. So he said Lumpy a few times, but I just want to emphasize this: it came from a Lumpy project progress. Um, project revenue. The support revenue was very slightly up, 1.77 million to 1.87 million, and the royalties was actually down 500k to um, 400k. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that definitely it benefited from the lumpiness. But then the other thing for me is um, to quote that AFR article that I that I mentioned earlier. It said that uh, you know the CEO Deacon and and um, Carancis, who who was the CEO of this were classmates in electrical engineering at University of Western Australia. The article said Etherstack and I send this share a common non-executive director in Scott Minahan and I send this even loaned Etherstack $1 million in 2018. So I have like a number of checklists that I do before investing in small cap stocks just because, you know, they can be very um, illiquid and high risk. And that that would probably like, you know, raise a few questions on my checklist there. So uh, there's that. And then the final point that I just really want to make is that I, it's very nice that they got the profit, but the actual free cash flow was negative, right? So the operating cash flow was 2.16 million. Um, they had 2.5 million spent on intangible assets, uh, purchase of property of equipment, another mo- a bit more then. They had some um, lease repayments as well. So overall, free cash flow negative, And at the end of the year, they're 1.9 million US dollars there in cash. So yeah, I mean, at very least, I'd argue at least wait until the free cash flow is keeping up with the um, profit there. Got it. Thank you. So that's an avoid for you, Claude, for a couple of reasons there. All right, guys, take a bit of a break. Have a breather. Let's get you across what we've learned so far. Tourism holdings, a hold from both of my guests. I'd like to see execution, really, uh, consistent execution. A little bit of a concern for Luke on valuation at this time. All right, Felix, uh, network effect is a plus for it, according to... Claude. It's an avoid, though. He wants to see better financials. It's burning cash, Luke points out, but it is on his watch list. Whisper, it's an avoid for Claude. It's uh, potentially cheap, but he reckons it still could potentially need to raise capital, which would be dilutive. Um, And Luke just says, yeah, it's a sell for him. He puts the management into the sin bin. It really needs to earn the trust of the market, he reckons. DDH drilling, look, uh, looks a bit wary of cyclical businesses this cycle right now, but it's cheap. It's a hold for that very reason. Luke, uh, sorry, Claude says that uh, be careful. There's a lot of tourist dollars in there because of where we're at in the cycle, but he reckons the dividend could have a little bit more in it. It's a hold for him. Causal, well, it's not going to be the next tech one, according to both of my guests. It's on the watch list for Luke, though. If you've got it, hold it. And for uh, for Claude, he said, look, it's um, it's closer to a cyclical than you may think. It's just a hold for him. And Etherstack, you just heard, it's an avoid for Claude. It's on the watch list for Luke. Okay, portfolio. The investment committee is on the website, osbiz.com.au. We took out Aristocrat, JB High Five. We put in Paradigm and New Century Resources. BHP, CSL, and Boss Energy weightings were increased. Here's the portfolio performance. Let's round it up to 14% since its inception on March the 1st. So we'll keep talking about stocks on this program and keep sending them to the investment committee as well. None today, though. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. 
And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. So far, at least, because we've got motorcycle holdings coming up, OFX, Objective Corp, Mars Group Holdings, and Ava Risk. Let's get to motorcycle holdings. This one is for Mark. Hey, guys, motorcycle holdings. I think of stimulus money being spent on motorcycles, and then I think of, uh, yeah, headwinds that the consumer is facing. Am I right, Luke, or not? Well, I think you're spot on, Nadine. Um, and, and you see that in the numbers. It trades on uh, six times earnings, which is incredibly cheap, but that's the market's way of um, you know pricing in the, the future earnings and, and what the business could look like. Um, yeah, that's a common theme along a lot of retailers. Um, you know, motorcycle holdings right up there as, as you know as far as discretionary and those big sort of lumpier sum purchases come. Um, but the, you know, a lot of retailers are around that sort of mid single digit earnings, and, and and that's as I said the market's way of essentially thinking those earnings are probably cut in half or then some if, if you sort of assume maybe 10 to 12 times earnings is that long-term average. Um, the thing I didn't like about motorcycle holdings when I looked at it was what they've done to their balance sheet over the last year considering you know those headwinds and the clouds that could be on the horizon. Um, so if you go back to FY21, you're right, Nadine. They had a booming FY21, big profits, big cash. They paid down nearly all their debt um, and a nice divvy as well for shareholders. FY22, they you know, have brought some debt back onto the balance sheet, paid another big dividend, and got to the point now where there's only sort of four mil cash in the bank. Now, you know, plenty of inventories and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't think there's a, a cash flow problem with this business, but. You're just at the point now of the cycle around the consumer and around these sort of big ticket purchases where I would have loved to see management just show a bit more conservatism with their balance sheet right now. Um, even if they cut that dividend in half, um, you know, they, they would have sort of maybe 10 to 11 mil cash in the bank. And, and that's probably enough where you, you sleep at night factors a, a little bit easier. So. Look, you've got skin in the game from management. I think they've got a very coherent strategy around, um, you know, making small acquisitions of independent motorcycle retailers over time. That's probably put on hold in the next couple of years just while, you know, all these things shake out. Um, it, it comes back to similar conversation around DDH. I think it's six times earnings. It's hard for me to sit here and say sell to someone. Um, but if the term speculative hold was ever brought in, for me, it's this stock, Nadine, because I have no idea what those earnings are going to be. They'll definitely come down. It's just about how much. And I just wish that balance sheet was a little bit stronger given the uncertainty of, of those earnings. So it is a hold, but if you're someone who did hold it and you needed a little bit of cash, it'd probably be first on my list to you know realize that and, and move into something else. Specky hold, I'll give it to you just because it's Friday, <laughs> just because I'm feeling nice. Claude, how do you see motorcycle holdings? Oh, uh, yeah, it's just, I would be a little bit harsher than Luke. I, I agree with him. I think he, he was thorough on his rundown. Um, I would too was going to hone in on that balance sheet. It's not great to see debt up 63% uh, to, to uh, 44 45 million and um, also inventory is up 25 percent to 107 million they definitely don't want to be seeing that inventory build um into a potential slowdown uh, just keeping in mind that um you know right now it's not like exactly proven that there is going to be a recession so i suppose the upside here is uh you know actually the consumer remains reasonably strong and uh these guys are fine in that case but uh Otherwise, to me, it just it goes against every bone in my body to, to do this. Like, I don't mind occasionally investing in retailers, but I have a strong preference for ones that keep strong balance sheets. The reason that it is so important as a retailer is if you find yourself wanting to be a long-term holder of a retailer, one that has always a strong balance sheet, it can take advantage of other people's weakness when things do get tough. But if it has a weak balance sheet, then it gets taken advantage of, basically. Um, and, and its share price can drop a long way as it tries to fix up its balance sheet. So, which can often just involve shrinking the business one way or another. So yeah, overall, I would actually just come in a little bit. I definitely would just probably be more, um, I don't want to hold shares in this, but I mean, I've been kind of anti retail exposure for a while, but 
just within retail exposure, highly indebted is definitely not where I want to be. Got it. Thank you, guys. All right, let's get on to the next company on the list. This is OFX Group and our viewer, I actually don't have this person's name, says that they would like it to be reviewed by Claude and Luke. So Claude, there you go. Your name was first. You go first. I'm sure that's just alphabetical order. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Oz4X, I don't, I don't have a very strong view on it. Um, obviously, uh, the you know the recent trading has disappointed the market. Uh, look, the the reason that I'd want to want to buy this essentially would be because uh, I think that overall, as it you know makes money by charging like you know a slice of the money that it's changing as inflation means that the higher dollar amount of people of the money goes up then so too will their revenue quite naturally so for that reason um i i like it but ultimately i've reached the conclusion with this business that it's not a good it's not one that i it's not where i want to be uh, essentially because i think that that the business that they are in tends towards being very highly competitive and i don't quite know exactly uh, you know why it is that this business is, is so competitive, but it, it just it just is. There's like you know there's other big competitors to Ozforex, and it's an efficient market, I guess, because it's so global, and there always just ends up being you know competition in this space, which drives margins down. As a result of that, you see that come through in the expectations that we're we're now seeing in terms of the analyst forecasts. Basically, uh, even though there's a forecast for revenue growth. There's actually not really much of a forecast for profit growth. And look, that's based on analyst forecasts. Analysts can always be wrong. But I tend to agree with that view, basically. I think because of competition, it's very hard for the profits to scale, even though the revenue scales. So previously, I've been a bit of, oh, this might be interesting. And I think last time I've talked about Ozforex on Ausbiz, I'm like, look, the angle here that I like is that their revenue should scale as, as inflation occurs. But the ultimate thing is I think it's a competitive and tough business. And I don't think that there's any competitive moat that will allow it to like get excess returns. So as a result of that, look, you, yeah. could, you could play, you could try and trade it or something like that. I'm not saying it's a terrible stock far from it, but I just don't see it as a long-term play that I would be interested in. Okay. So there you go. Luke, what about you? I mean, do people have loyalty to, to these types of operations? Customers, I mean. Probably not, Nadine. And I think Claude's hitting on the, the key thing with a business like this, and that's it's a, a, a vertical viewed by you know big financial players where it's like your product is my feature. They make money from some much more higher margin verticals and you offer you know foreign exchanges just a value add to, to stuff where you extract more value from customers. So OFX competing directly in that foreign exchange space inevitably bumps up against some very, very tough competition and most likely larger competitors who aren't quite rational on price because they might lose lead with something like foreign exchange. Um, and if we have the longer term chart, like that's five years, if, if we're able to go back 10, you sort of see that in the, in the longer term chart. It's, it's a business that sort of really did nothing for many years, um, had a nice boost through COVID, which is probably a bit counterintuitive because you'd expect, you know, without much travel, um, you know, foreign exchange to, to get hit. But the main reason why they had a boost was with the volatility of currencies through that COVID period, a lot of corporate clients were much quicker to convert currencies back to their home, uh, their home currency rather than, you know, hold, hold dollars or, or whatever it may be in different currencies where they may be earning them in different parts of the world. So they've, they've done very well capturing that, that wallet share of corporate customers. That probably starts to normalise. And I think you see the, 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 the dynamics of the industry eventually start to kick into, as Claude said, even if you are able to report some some growth at the top line, it probably gets squeezed away at the bottom. So historically, the business has sort of traded on mm -hmm. 10 to 12 times earnings, reflective of that sort of lower growth. Market got a bit excited, took up about 20. It looks like it's back towards that 12 to 14. So look, if you own it, you, you probably continue to hold it. You, you, you've had that multiple re-rate on, on the result the other day. Uh, but just, yeah, don't extrapolate that COVID period out to the future. I think you view this business through the lens of where it was for the last 10 years rather okay. than the last one. Got it. Let's move on, guys, because we're at number eight and you can see the clock there. The uh, Objective Corp is next on the list. I know I've spoken with you guys about this one before. OCL is a ticker code. Cam, Luke, let's start with you. 
Um, I'll be quick, Nadine, because I know Claude knows this one a bit better than me. Um, it's a high-quality business, software provider, government-focused, really around that regulatory side of technology, you know, compliance and document management. Um, a founder who owns 60% of the business, there's a lot of things to like, and I think that's why, you know, it's been very well rewarded by the market for a long time. And behind that's been some very consistent growth rates. Um, look, their update the other day, you know, you can't sugarcoat it. It was a pretty weak update. Um, management, there was a, a, a CEO letter to shareholders released with the update. And, you know, I think he's a very candid CEO, Tony Walls. I, I rate him quite highly. And he was sort of honest with the market saying that, uh, you know, this is sort of that last period before they make that full transition to SaaS from their, their historical license and, you know, some other one-off factors. And he sort of still believes in that long-term growth trajectory of the business. Now, 60 times earnings is, is where it gets tough. Look, I think you hold it if you're there. It's a high-quality business. It's proven that for such a long time. Um, if you're on the sidelines, you know, it is very liquid. It's probably having a period of weakness right now. It's still on a high valuation. I think you sit there. Um, but just given the liquidity, given the quality of it, mm-hmm. I, I think it's still I think it's still a hold. Thank you, Claude. Any uh, change in view? Give us an update. Yeah, so I actually own shares in this one, and the last sort of actions I've done um, in the past has been has been to sell some shares. I have at high level sold some shares. I wish I sold more though, uh, because as Luke says, this is the weakest result uh, that they have put they have submitted to the market for a very long time. Um, it's it's not great to see. They had sort of uh, guided in November that it was going to be a weak year this year. So not saying that there's anything untoward, but, you know, a weak result is a weak result. I own shares in this company because I think it's a high-quality business run by a very um, high-quality team. And you do have insider ownership kind of alignment, but you also, on top of that, that have, like, you know, a long history of basically really being a good manager, uh, they're actually even getting better with their uh, communications with shareholders. So uh, points to them there. And uh, I basically, it's a real, I have mixed feelings about this because I think that this was a, a weak result, a slightly weaker than pretty much anyone would have expected. And in part, that's because, yeah, the profit, the net, the statutory profit was up 6%, but that was basically due to a uh, much lower tax. So overall, this is a situation where revenue up, Profit, underlying profit before tax, essentially down. Um, so, oh, you know, it's just margins are worse. And that's definitely not what you're going to see. As a software business sales, it must improve its margins. Now, obviously, as Luke and, of course, the company has explained, this is a big fact to do with, you know, uh, they had minus 50% on the license sales of their, uh, you know, in their major segment, uh, which is the content management segment, which, you know, does a lot for corporates but also you know government and uh the reduction in license sales hits this period and it's also going to hit um the second half as well so we've got a situation where this is a weak half we're probably going to get a weak half in the second half then and then things should start looking better in fy 2024 so it's a long hold for you know i'm i believe that i currently intend to probably hold some shares all the way through you know the tough year we're going through now and then to a brighter future but at the same time, my short-term outlook is definitely negative. And I'd like to leave the window open for myself to like potentially reduce my holding a little bit, which I may do in due course, not for another couple of days after talking about it. But um, I don't really know. I haven't decided. I just think the short-term outlook is poor. But long-term, the thesis remains in, in, in place. Like, And I think after the FY 2023 results, that's probably going to be the ugliest moment because you're going to have a full year that was a full mm-hmm. week year. And that's when I'll be targeting, um, you know, if it might be actually attractively priced then. But as Luke says, P ratio very high, especially given the short term performance and outlook is not great. Got it. Thank you. Let's go to Mars Group Holdings. Guys, quickly. Uh, Luke, what do you think of Mars Group Holdings? Um, not one I'd looked at too closely, Nadine, and I actually didn't mind it. Um, looks like the short-term um, outlook for them is a little bit cloudy. They downgraded their guidance, I think. Um, they, they had guidance given at the end of the FY22 report, downgraded a few months later. They had an update to that guidance recently where the first half is quite low, and so they're guiding for a very strong second half. And normally I'm pretty wary of businesses that rely on that big seasonal waiting to hit their numbers. You, you sort of definitely sit on the sidelines and wait. 
I'll give these guys a bit of credit, though, and I was pretty impressed when I went through their Prezo. Um, so Wes Mars is the CEO, founder of this business. You know, obviously the business is named after him. Um, and I got some real mineral resources vibes from this business, Nadine. Um, a heavy focus on return on capital. I don't think they pigeonhole themselves into any one segment. They're playing in that sort of wider construction mining services space, but they've got their fingers in a lot of different pies. And I think the, the way um, Wes thinks about this business is just looking to see where he can deploy capital for the, the highest returns possible. And um, it looks like right now that's focused on sort of um, rural residential development focused around sort of Tamworth and some Queensland mm -hmm. um, rural spaces. Um, so look, I, I think it's a it's a tough one for the program because I think short term, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm generally wary of these businesses where you've got some guidance, but your first half number's weak and you need a big second half to hit it. I, I usually would say on the sidelines. I actually think there's a case here. I, I, I like I said, I, I sort of only come to it today, but I liked a lot of things about this business and mm -hmm. particularly seeing that strong focus on return on capital. Um, I think is a, a case for a long term hold, and if it's if you're someone who doesn't own it but you want that long-term focus and, and go back to what I said about DDH, someone who invests counter-cyclical, I think this is what this business will do. So, um, you know, it, it's it's probably a hold for me, even despite that short-term weakness. Interesting. Okay. Luke, uh, sorry, Claude, what do you think? Yeah, I'll, look, I'll go a hold as well, but I'll simplify why I wouldn't buy it right now is I just want to be buying. The, if I were going to be a long-term holder i'd be really interested in the dividend and the dividend is um you know still reasonably low at the moment the the trailing dividend yield there so uh for that reason i'd be looking for a lower price and but having said that you know yeah it, it's a decent it looks decent quality it's, it's a billion dollar company so it's a little bit out of where i usually look yeah got it okay let's go into the last eva risk so this is well it's risk management technology and services um claude what do you make of eva risk yeah, so this is an interesting one. Look, the look the it's a, it's another story where it's messy at the moment, so you can't easily see the earnings. So you have to take on faith a bit and look at the history because what they did is they divested one of their businesses uh, that was profitable. So if we go and then look at the uh, the continuing business, uh, the the profit um, in the last year was pretty much break even a mild loss, but in FY twenty twenty one it was six point six million, and that's because it has like has had in the past a lumpy license sale to the Indian Ministry of Defence, which have benefited from very much in terms of its profit. But at the moment, at its current level, it's yeah kind of flat and it has lumpy sales. Its revenue was down as well of the continuing business. And there, you know, it sort of expanded a little bit into, I think, sort of some uh, locking products, uh, smart locks, but also its key one is this Aura IQ, you know, sensors for the conveyor belts that is taken a while to catch off. Um, you know, to take off, but could contribute in the future. And then they have the core perimeter security style business uh, that is that sort of lumpy one that succeeded in the past. And so, yeah, look, there's a thesis here you can make, I can make sense of. I don't own the stock, but there's a thesis you can make sense of, which is essentially uh, that you're holding it now, you're waiting for a lumpy contract to come through, that should fall through to the bottom line. You suddenly get a decent profit. I don't know if it's two, three million, four million, could be higher. And then suddenly the stock looks shit looks cheap and re-rates and i think that's a reasonable thesis and if that was your thesis you know i think that that's a decent small cap buy thesis i've definitely seen worse than that and i wouldn't be i don't own it myself but i would tentatively say yeah that makes sense as a buy thank you let's see what luke says are we going to potentially finish this program with two buys ava risk it's up to you luke yeah, no, look, I actually agree with that, Nadine. I don't own it. Um, I know some people who do. I've heard the investment thesis, and I pretty much agree. Like, it all makes sense to me. Um, you know, a lot of the conversation on Etherstack, minus the people behind it, I think Claude made some good points there, um, sort of fits these guys. It's, it's, it's lumpy, but there's some interesting tech there, some interesting IP. Um, you know, their gross margins are similar. It's like 60 67% gross margins as well. So straight away, that's a very simple test you can do as an investor to determine whether a business has any sort of you know IP slash pricing power behind it. Can you extract decent gross margins, which these guys do as well? So um, yeah, it looks like they've got some some growth levers they can pull with some new products coming to market, but it has been lumpy. That's probably what's held me away. Um, but if you're someone who can look through that lumpiness and sort of see the longer term growth trajectory, I think it all looks good to me. So I'd, I'd say a buy as well for, for the more speculative micro cap investor.
You are kidding me. We're finishing this with a double buy, and that will be going to the investment committee. That's good, guys. Well, the loss-making stock, though, as well. <laughs> Technically, it's the loss maker, so I hope we're right, Luke. Yeah, okay. Yeah, look, uh, do your own research, information only, all that kind of stuff. All right, motorcycle holdings, not the time. Sell for Claude. It's a hold, a specky hold. I'll let him get away with it for Luke. OFX Group, it's an avoid for Claude, a hold for Luke. Um, normalizing is coming. Normalization, I should say. Objective Corp, it's a hold for both of my guys. Keep in mind, Luke, uh, Claude owns this one. Um, he thinks they're getting better with comms, but uh, Luke points out it's a liquid, and that oftentimes is a red flag, even when the company is aligned with its, um, you know, its management team. Maz Group Holdings, it's a hold for both of my guests. And Ava Risk, it's a buy. All right, guys, Luke, Winchester, Meriwether Capital, one of my favorite beaches on earth, and uh, Claude <laughs> Walker from A Rich Life. Guys, it's always good. Nice to see you on this Friday. I do hope you have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, thanks, you too. Thank you. And uh, thanks to you for watching. Thank you as well for sending in all of the companies. We've been flooded as of late. We're sort of spoiled for choice. Stay with us. Andrew Gagan will take you through the pulse, get you across what's happening in the news next. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.